Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. I want to, first of all, say hello, and God bless you, all of you who are listeners, especially particular listeners, some of our really faithful listeners like Sonia out in California, and also somebody else who I didn't realize actually listened to our program. I'm very honored to learn of this. His name is Father Mitch Pacwa, which many of you probably know. You probably recognize him from his, he has actually more than one program on EWTN-TV, EWTN, Father Mitch Pacwa. And Father Mitch was a guest speaker at the Chastity Benefit Banquet for the Archdiocese of Chicago recently, and I attended that, and I talked with Father Mitch, and he remembered me. I was surprised he remembered me because I was on his program some time ago, and he told me he listens to this program, Light of the East. So hello to you, Father Mitch Pacwa. Thanks for listening, and thank all of you for listening. We've been talking the last couple times on our program here about the areas of convergence between East and West, the two lungs of the church. In other words, how we arrive at the same point, although we come at it from different angles. Sort of a principle of complementarity, I think, is built into the church, much like the human race as male and female, or like a marriage, a man and woman who complement each other. One is not better than the other and more important than the other. They both have their own particular dignity and, and value and character. But the two together make up something very special. Now, there's something very special happens when a man and woman come together in the sacrament, the mystery of marriage. And so, too, in the church, when the two lungs of the church, as John Paul II referred to it as, come together, they complement each other, they kind of complete each other. So whenever we compare East and West, we're comparing each other's gifts, and one gift kind of needs the other. So it's not a matter of comparing as, as though one were lesser than the other and more important than the other but rather they're two things of equal dignity, but they're just different and they complete each other. So we arrive at the same point, just like man and woman arrive at the same point of being human. They start out and journey that direction from their respective genders. In other words, a man has his masculine experience of the human experience and a woman has her feminine experience of the one same human experience. The church is the same way. One of those areas in addition to the ones we've already talked about, and I believe we talked about purgatory and also the papacy, especially infallibility. One of those other areas is the area of church art, especially iconography. I'm finding that iconography is becoming more and more present, more and more, to use the word, popular in the Western lung of the church. Now, I'm very gratified to see this. However, as always, we want to make sure that we know what we're doing, know what this art is about. 
We want to always preserve the integrity of a particular art, especially an art that is church art. You see, in the church, the art, the music, and obviously the prayer, the liturgy, the mass, the Eucharist, and so on, those things are very, very purposeful. They're very, very ancient. Everything about them is very, very important, down to the last detail, because they are ways in which the Almighty God, the invisible God, the union and communion that we know as the Holy Trinity is made present, and we are caught up into that union. We are caught up into that connectedness, that intimate union of spousal love between ourselves and our Trinitarian God. So the participation in God, literally the participation in God, partaking of his divine nature, as the Byzantine spirituality is fond of saying, that participation is fundamental. There's nothing more important than that. So the way it is expressed, the way it is experienced has to be very, very purposeful. So there's a lot a lot of tradition, capital T, I would use the word tradition in terms of capital T, or even the word canons. I'm using that word kind of in quotes, meaning a kind of a law or rule set down by the church. And this is established over a long period of time by many people, many holy people, and eventually becomes the sort of canonized or codified form of something. Could be music, could be art, prayer, etc. Even, of course, canon law. But there's also a kind of a canonical approach to the art of the church. Because the art, as I mentioned, expresses what we believe. And this is very true when it comes to iconography. Now, I'm going to make a distinction here between iconography and iconology. Iconology, you know, that word broken down, can mean something like the study of the meaning of something or its theology. And it's kind of a more of a universal term. I'm going to use the iconology as a universal term, meaning that any art of the church, East and West, any of the artistic expression has a certain iconology to it. Now, there's a kind of a, it conveys, it conveys something beyond itself. It conveys something about God and our faith. Iconography, and that part of the word graph, graphy, referring to an image or a character, like a letter, something you write, refers to something more specific, more codified than iconology. So all church art has an iconology to it. In other words, it's pointing to something beyond itself. It's just not a painting. It's, it's a purposeful painting communicating something about God and our faith. Iconography does that, but it does that in a very specific way. And again, these ways have been set down and passed down to us by very holy people over long periods of time. And they've been kept basically intact. There were developments to them, but basically they tended to kind of become what I call codified or, or canonized. In other words, there's a way you do iconography. There's a process. There's certain colors, certain themes, certain ways of composition, etc. And the reason for this is because iconography is giving us a true vision. That's the most important thing to remember about iconography. It's a true vision. The only honest, real vision, the vision we're all supposed to have at all times, and that vision is an incarnational vision. In other words, it's about heaven meeting earth, heaven revealing itself on and through earth. The invisible become visible through the created order, through the physical world that we know. And by that process, the physical world, the world as we know it, is changed. It is transformed. It's eschatological, it's sacramental, mystical character is revealed. In other words, a 
tree, a star in the sky, bread and wine, an Eucharist, a human being, a painting like an icon, a candle, incense, is not just those things in themselves, but rather they are things that reveal or make present the invisible God. They literally participate in what they signify. See, that's the important thing. They participate. They bring us into an actual participation in what they signify. This is especially true of icons. So when we paint icons, what we're doing is we're painting in a certain way with certain canons or rules, certain style, even certain paint, certain everything. We're doing it in a way so as to make present the living God, so as to kind of unite us and that which is on earth with heaven. The invisible is made visible through the physicality of the icon. And so it's very important that the rules or style that's been passed down for iconography be respected and observed. Now, can there be some development, even modern-day development? Yes, I would think so. But again, that has to happen over time. It has to be something that kind of bubbles up within the church, you know, by sincere, holy, qualified people who practice iconography, those people presenting perhaps a maybe a kind of a modern expression of iconography, by that I mean maybe modern, more modern themes or contemporary themes. I don't mean they change drastically the style. You can't do that because then it would not be iconography. Remember, iconography is very specific, a specific art form. Now, in the Eastern churches, iconography has become the art form. It's actually the art form of the whole church, believe it or not, yes. And it has been since the beginning. Now, the difference is that in the West, other art forms, artistic expressions of the faith were allowed and encouraged to develop. And it actually happened rather naturally. In other words, the art of the church, East and West, was always based in iconography. But in later centuries, the art of the Western church went into other directions, including the use of statues and different styles. So there, there are various styles of art, of church art, in the Western lung of the church. For instance, you can talk about a kind of a more Baroque style of art, a more early Christian style of art, and so on, even to the extent of a modern religious art. And this is all okay. This is all good. This was a natural development. In the East, what happened was they stayed with, sort of canonized or crystallized, one form of art, and that was Byzantine iconography, which was always an image on a painted board, painted on a wall or a board, or it could be a mosaic. At most, they had what was called a relief. In other words, where the image was not like a full statue, three-dimensional, but it came outward from the surface a bit, but it was never fully three-dimensional. But largely, iconography is a painted image, usually on a board or a wall, or can be also done in mosaic. And there's very specific reasons for this. I'm going to talk more about those reasons and also how the different art forms, East and West, are once again signs of how the church breathes with both lungs. We arrive at the same point when we come at that point from complementary directions. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. 
That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. When you reach God, there's always more. And now, a Sheptitsky Institute Minute with Father Peter Galadza. At a retreat for priests, Andrei Sheptitsky once said, For all creatures, even the most exalted and perfect, God is always an abyss of unapproachable light. The more one knows God, the more one is conscious of that infinite abyss of unapproachable light. That infinite abyss that God continues to be even for those who see him face to face. And in fact, for them, this is especially true for they who are on the way to the kingdom understand better than all other people on earth the degree to which God's being infinitely transcends everything. Holy ignorance is the most complete knowledge of the divine. To learn about degree programs in Eastern Christian Studies, visit sheptitskyinstitute.ca. That's S-H-E-P-T-Y-T-S-K-Y Institute dot C-A. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. You're listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyot, your host, and we're talking about, in these last few programs, and we'll continue to do, about how the East and Western lungs arrive at the same point, but they come at it from complementary ways. I like to use that word, complementary, even better than using the word different ways. They're complementary ways. In other words, they're meant to work together. They're meant to be together, just as man and woman, husband and wife. And again, neither one is better than the other. But we both need each other's ways to complete our own way. So the West needs the East, the East needs the West. We're looking at the art of the church, East and West, in particular iconography. Now, the reason and the way that we can say that the different forms of art that developed in the East, it was basically iconography, and in the West, they developed different forms of artistic expressions over the centuries. The reason we can say that that converges at the same point is because although different, what is the point of it all? The point of it all is this incarnational dimension of our faith, of the church. In other words, that we can with images, whether it's in various styles as developed in the West or in iconography as it was codified in the East, whichever way, the point is we make present the living God and the mysteries of faith. And the art helps us to participate in 
those mysteries. In other words, to actually enter into them, not just to know them, but to actually experience them, and especially to experience God, to experience God in a way that's so tangible that we can touch God. In the West, they developed styles such as, I mentioned before, statues or what we call three-dimensional art. It's the way we see life in this side of eternity. We see it in terms of height, width, and length. Three dimensions. You know, it's like like a uh, like a think of it as like a like a box. A box is x amount of inches or feet high. It's x amount of inches or feet wide, and it's x amount of inches or feet deep. So three dimensions. And in the Western Church, what happened was they began to express their theology even in the third dimension, which was later on the development of statues. Now, in the East, they stayed with the two-dimensional expression. The reason for that is the complement of the reason why the West allowed three dimensions. (laughs) In other words, the East said, well, if we see things in three dimensions on this side of eternity, and we in the East, though, want to express or emphasize, there's that word emphasize, the next life, in other words, eternity, the other side of eternity, then we would have to come up with an art form that would be in some way like and yet unlike the way we experience life on this side of eternity. Okay, I hope that's not too much of a brain teaser, but basically what I mean is the Eastern iconography arrived at the two dimension. In other words, they dropped out the third dimension and they did something else. They kind of reversed some of the perspective that we know on this side of eternity. In other words, think of the railroad tracks. As you're looking at railroad tracks, the parallel lines of the tracks converge as you look at the track off in a distance. That's one of the simplest classic examples, standing on a railroad track looking down the railroad track. As it goes off in a distance, it seems like the tracks converge at a point. That's the perspective that we know in this life. So what did the Byzantines do? They said, well, we want to depict or give a sense of the next life. So we're not going to make it like we see things here. So we're going to reverse that. We're going to make things get smaller as they come towards you. In other words, the smallest point is the closest point. And as we look outward, the lines expand. In other words, they go the opposite of the way we are naturally used to seeing them in this life. And the reason for that is always is theological, that we're looking out into eternity, which expands, is limitless. The icon gives us two things. It gives us a glimpse of the next life, of eternity, but also, at the same time, it's like a mirror. In other words, what is on earth finds its truest image or meaning in eternity. So in one sense, we're looking at eternity, but eternity is reflecting back to us here the real meaning of what we are, what we see, what we live. So iconography is both a look into eternity and also a reflecting back from eternity to this side of eternity as to the real meaning of what we experience in this life. In other words, it's ultimate destinies, it's ultimate direction. So I hope that wasn't too confusing for you. Put very simply, instead of lines of perspective converging in an icon, as they normally would in real life, as we see things, they go the opposite. They actually start at the smallest point closest to us, the viewer, and expand outward. So there are different techniques, different rules of composition from iconography that are all aimed 
at trying to give us an experience of the next life, while at the same time showing how this life is connected or animated by the next life. So whenever you look at an icon, what you're going to see is this. You're going to see always some image of heaven, something that directly kind of points to heaven. At the same time, you're going to see images that remind us of this life here. If you take, for instance, an icon of Jesus Christ, just the icon of Christ himself, or of any saint, but let's look at the icon of Christ. You'll notice in icons, in actual iconography, that unlike, for instance, the art of the Sistine Chapel, where the glory of that is the glory of the human body, the naked human body, and it's all its glory, its redemptive glory portrayed by Michelangelo and that incredible rendition and modeling of the, of the human form. Unlike that, iconography presents the human form, usually, not, but not always, but usually clothed in robes, and in such a way as to hint at a body beneath, but it's almost as if you don't know exactly what form that body's in. It's almost like it's already spiritualized. In other words, you can tell, but there isn't a lot of accent on the actual anatomy of the body beneath the robes. But you know it's a body. It's just different. Now you come to the faces, the icons, and the faces are very evident as human. At the same time, they too have a special quality to them. And what is the point of all this? The point of all this is portray in the icon those persons, whether it's Jesus Christ, Mother of God, the angels, the saints, to portray them as they are in heaven. In other words, glorified, spiritualized. You know, we do believe that our bodies will be reunited with our souls at the end of time, after the last judgment, and those who are just and deserving of heaven will rise up. Their bodies will rise up to rejoin their souls, but their bodies will be transfigured, transformed, somehow gloriously, united with their souls. And this is promised to us. It is demonstrated, in a sense, proven to us, prophesied to us by Christ himself. Remember the story? After his resurrection, when he appealed to the apostles, on several occasions they talked about how they recognized him as a man, but didn't exactly recognize who he was. But eventually they did recognize him. And especially the case in John's gospel where Christ moves through a closed door. The door is closed and he passes through it almost like a ghost or a spirit. Yet he still very much has his body. So much so, he still has the wounds that he endured on the cross that he tells Thomas to touch. So the body was real, yet it was different. Well, that's how we're going to be. That's the promise God has for us in heaven. And that promise is depicted in the very style of how icons are painted. In other words, the iconography. That is sort of the iconology of the iconography. So we're doing a lot of sort of brain teasing this program today. (laughs) But again, the underlying point here is this. East and West developing their own respective styles. In the West, they allowed many styles to develop and still do. The East having basically one style but allowing those styles to develop for the purpose of revealing God, of putting us in touch with God. And the iconology, iconography, the art of the church East and West is absolutely essential, essential because it is more than just nice pictures, you know, pious scenes that we're supposed to have in our churches or in our homes. Rather, the art of the church East and West is giving us the only and one true vision of life. It's an affirmation. All religious art of the church, East and West, is an affirmation of the incarnational event, 
In other words, the great mystery that God, an invisible God, did take on flesh. He did become visible by taking on the very creation he himself created while remaining God. That is the central mystery of our faith. That is the one great mystery, as St. Paul says, and it is from that that everything else flows. And so the art of the church, to have art in our churches, good art, art with iconology or iconography, is absolutely essential, not just for worship, but for our having a true vision of our faith and of life itself. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Or hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. For the first time, Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road. Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>